Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts every week on talk easy with sam fragoso i invite an artist writer or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to Hyundai, a proud partner of iHeartRadio's Black and Inspired HBCU celebration. iHeartRadio's Black, Black and Inspired. 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 Welcome to iHeartRadio's Black and Inspired HBCU celebration. Show me the money episode covering the basic principles about personal and business finance. We are speaking with my earn your leisure brother, Troy Millings, founder and CEO of the Wealth Factory, Angel Rich and the shark himself, Damon John, hosted by me, Rashad Blau. All right, so the first question that I wanna ask the esteemed panel is um, how important is entrepreneurship and understanding financial literacy to the youth today? Uh, I think it's extremely important. Uh, one of the things, and we've always stressed is that you can't work your way to freedom, right? You're gonna have to invest or create your way to freedom. And so learning the skills of what it is to be an entrepreneur is what it takes to have the determination to be it and understanding a pathway inside there is vitally important. One of the things we started with was the youth. And I think that was vitally important. We kind of just stumbled upon it. I'm being a teacher, obviously being a financial advisor. We started with the youth because we knew there was no expectation on them, right? Their brains hadn't been developed and it wasn't a stringent thing for them to learn new ideas and new processes or come up with different um, business opportunities. Uh, as you get older, you become more stagnant in your ideas of saying like, all right, I have to have a nine to five. This is my career. I went to school for all this and I'm not changing. Uh, whereas when you start with the youth and get their mind thinking of different possibilities and different opportunities, the results can be endless and it can take them in many different directions. There's no one way to get to, to freedom, uh, which is the ultimate goal. And so having those, that ground work and the, 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 the foundation of having the mindset of being an entrepreneur at a young age is vitally important to the success of not only our community, but communities around the world. Angel, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I definitely uh, completely agree with everything that he just stated. I would say uh, additionally, from an entrepreneur perspective, as you are raising funds and having to manage different money, it's important for you to be able to understand financial literacy so that you are properly uh, managing that money. Uh, something that my mother taught me as I was starting to rise was understanding your financial self-image. Because if you only see yourself having four or $5,000 in the bank, then that's all you will ever keep in the bank. And you will continue to spend money on ancillary things that you don't need, as opposed to uh, managing that money properly and investing in things as he, as he just alluded to. If you see yourself having a million dollars or a billion dollars, then you will be chinchy over every single thing that you have. You won't throw food in the trash. You will turn your lights off in the house and 
all type of other things that help to build your finances and to accumulate wealth even more so that that then transpires into how you conduct your business and your operation and um, continue to scale your business. So all of it is intertwined uh, in your personal life as well as your business life to have a foundation of financial literacy. Yeah, I, I just want to add to that because I think what you said was brilliant. And one of the things we've been preaching is changing your zero. And it's kind of the strategy where if you change the amount you see in your bank account all the time. A lot of people will wait till they have no money to say, I have no money. But if you change the mindset and change your zero, right? Now, 100 becomes your zero. Oh, I only have $100 left. I'm at zero. Oh, I only have $500 left. I'm at zero. Up until like, oh, I only have $1,000 left, $10,000 left. I'm at zero. So you change that mindset. And now you're automatically creating strategies for yourself to gain money and so you can invest. And so if you want to become an entrepreneur, you actually have finances to fund that uh, aspiration. Couldn't agree with you more. Yes. Damien, how do you feel about that? Well, you know, entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial thinking is not as necessity of, uh, of, you know, when it comes to finance. Those are two different things. The entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial thinking are um, basically an entrepreneur, somebody who is finding a a product, a service to sell to people, and they are now in charge of the company. Entrepreneurial thinking is somebody who is working within a system, and they are, uh, you know, executing the same thing that that entrepreneur does externally. Meaning, they're making their mistakes fast. They're making them small. They are obsessed with the customer. They're doing their homework. So that's critical in regards to, I think, a career. But financial literacy is something that you just cannot get around. Financial literacy is something about. What is compounding interest? What do you do with your taxes? You know, um, credit lines. You know, how do you uh, secure credit? How much of your credit is supposed to be used against how much available credit that you have? And that is extremely important because you may be an entrepreneur. You may be an entrepreneur. If you're an entrepreneur, maybe somebody's in the company that tells you all the things to do. If you're an entrepreneur, maybe you hire a CFO. Maybe you hire a COO, CEO. You're always going to need to know finance, no matter what you do in life, whether it is you're a student for life, whether it is you are balancing checkbook at home, whether you're running a Fortune 100 company, whether you're trying to start a company or whether you're trying to buy a house. Right. And I think all of us has some of those aspirations. And the challenge is the earlier years in school, we're, we don't have accounting classes. We're not taught about, you know, um, how credit works. Why is it important? What are finances? And often. Um. Uh, most likely, none of us have come in the African-American community, have come from legacy wealth. Our parents and grandparents probably were not the Fords and the Carnegies or bigger people uh, who had businesses who can pass down this knowledge, or at least you can call up their accountants, their tax, you know, their tax consultants and people like that. So we have to go prior to the Internet. We had to go off of good old mom and dad in the community. What they say, yo, listen. You got to put all your cash under the mattress. You got to hide, you know, you got you got to pay up all your bills right away when no, there's incentives to uh, have your interest laid off onto your taxes by the government. Uh, cash under your mattress is a depreciating asset. Uh, you know, it, cash is trash. Basically, your money should be sitting away someplace making more and working for you. So that's the difference between entrepreneurial uh, thinking and uh, the difference with understanding finance. Very profound. Um, okay. So what are some gems for young people that they need to understand as far as financial literacy? Like what would be some like basic level information that you would give somebody a high school or a freshman in college to always keep in mind when it comes to financial literacy? Angel, you want to start that one? Yeah, I would say pay your bills on time. Um, that was one that I did not learn. <laughs> I did not learn that. Um, I did not know that you had to actually pay your bills on time. I thought that, you know, if it was due on the 15th, as long as you like got it in during the month, you know, uh, within that 30 day period <laughs> that you had uh, paid your bills. And that's not exactly true. Paying your bills is 35% of your credit score. Um, and that's why we created our product, uh, Credit Rich, to help people really be able to understand that. And we specifically named it Credit Rich because a lot of people just sit with a 700 uh, credit score and don't necessarily do anything with it. But you can actually leverage your credit to be able to accumulate more wealth and to be able to grow that even higher and to become rich uh, by, by using your credit score. 
So it's actually an investment to pay your bills on time because it goes towards helping to rise your credit score and using it in the best, um, most optimal facility. And it's even better if you pay it ahead of the first, if you were to pay it uh, five to eight days in advance of when the bill is due, it has a slightly uh, uh, more um, a higher impact on your credit score. So all of these things are great to take into consideration as you are just starting out. Um, and that's something simple that you can do. You have to pay the bill anyway. So you might as well pay it on time or a few days in advance. Yeah, so there's going to be more uh, people who are, you know, going to be on this broadcast that have probably more understanding of exactly what to do with credit. But I'm going to give you the basics. Credit is extremely important because if you have a low score, that means you're paying more interest to acquire credit. You're also getting turned down more often. So it's costing you more to own the same thing that other people have. If you have a high credit score, that means you are able to use other people's money to acquire real estate and various other things and let other people pay the bills for you. That's the theory of, of, of using your credit and using your financial intelligence. You see all the things that, you know, um, that I basically own, I let everybody else pay for and all the things that I rent or borrow, I get to write off on the government. Um, and you have to understand that if you want to go out and get a home, which is worth $200,000 and you have a mortgage on that thing for about whatever the case is, $3,000, you want to charge somebody $3,500 a month to stay in it. And you want to use your credit for those type of things. And credit is important. If you have $10,000 available to you on a credit card, well, you're not supposed to use more than 30% of that. You're not supposed to use more than 3,000 of it because then the credit company says, well, you're not utilizing all of this and you're worth issuing more credit. Now, sometimes you want to use more money then, hopefully if you have, you're in good standing, Increase your credit score. I mean, increase your credit, you know, holding to 15,000 so you can use 5,000 of it. Right. Um, and it's all about when do you pay? Cause there's, there's three main, uh, sources of, uh, of people who report your credit and they all work within each other because their job is to make sure you have lower credit. So you pay more. Right. So if you understand how credit works, uh, and interest works, that's important, right? Because they say that, you know, if you don't know about interest, you're going to, pay it. If you know about interest, you're going to earn it. So that's why credit is extremely important because they will always check your credit score for anything from a cell phone to a smartphone, to a, to a car, to a home, uh, to even when you're trying to get into certain communities. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, a strategy that we, we started with the youth was learning the core principles of, of money and finance. And it was three things we always taught them. It was how to save, how to spend and how to share. And so, when you, what, you calculate how much you spend, you can actually see where your money's going. Then you allocate how much you need to save and then sharing. And that could be a monetary thing, but also could be a value thing, right? The more value you share, the more you're going to get back in, in, um, in return. And so if they can understand those three core principles at an early age, they're going to be way ahead of the game, right? Because that's one thing that we don't tell our, our, our community and we don't tell our people. It's like, look, you need to save a certain amount of money. Yeah, we know we're going to spend because that's what we naturally know what to do when we get it. But sharing it is important and uh, saving is, is, is equally important. I also would add, if they're going to create something, is to have a plan A through Z. A lot of times we go into business and we just have a plan A. Um, and I was told early, like, if you don't have a plan Z, then you don't have a plan at all. And so we want to have contingencies in the event that plan A doesn't work in our business. What do we have in place if these things happen? So you want to have contingency plans in the event that something happens that wasn't forecasted to happen in your business uh, so that you, you don't run into a situation where you don't have a business anymore. All right, so the next one. So when we talk about entrepreneurship, something mm -hmm. that we all preach, all of us are entrepreneurs. And um, if you think about it, the school system doesn't really prepare you to become an entrepreneur. It you know, kind of prepares you to go into the workforce. Mm -hmm. So there's no roadmap, but there's no blueprint for business owners or entrepreneurs, which causes people to make a lot of mistakes. And it also causes people not to actually start because they just don't know what they're doing. So um, as far as, you know, inspiring entrepreneurs, young people that want to be business owners one day, um, what are some strategies that they can apply? And, um, you know, what are some tips for them on their entrepreneurial yeah, it's fun. journey? It's, it's funny you say that, being um, a teacher for 15 years, uh, hearing that. But it, it's true. Uh, and I can't stress it enough that education doesn't stop in the four walls of a classroom. And I'm a living testament to it, right? Like I, I was a phys ed teacher. I taught health science. 
But now I teach the world about finance. And so some of these things that I had to learn, I taught myself. And so self-education is very important, but the word education in itself is, is the key, right? And so you have to educate yourself in a multitude of things of interest, right? And I'd say this all the time, we used to discount ourselves about the things we read, right? We would read comic books, we would read magazines, we would read anything, but we, we, we would say, hey, we didn't read if we didn't have a book. But a lot of times it doesn't have to be in the book. The information can come from anywhere. It can come from the internet, it can come from podcasts, you might have heard of some, um, but the information you can gather and actually learn yourself. I would add to that when you get the education, find yourself a mentor, right? There's, there's no better person that can give you experience other than somebody who's actually been in the place you want to be. And so what you're going to gain from them is the mistakes they've made on their journey. And so that you don't have to, right? So now you're steps ahead of the game because you already have learned what not to do. And so educating yourself, whether it be through podcasts, whether it be uh, through literature, whether it be through websites, uh, make sure that you educate yourself and make sure it's, it's a proper education by getting that mentor who can advise you to say, you know what, this information is valid. This information is correct. Then also I would start executing on some of the information, right? Experience will be your best teacher. And so if you go through trials and tribulations, whether it be in investing in the stock market, whether it be investing in real estate, I know, you know, some of the people are going to be kind of young, but all it takes is a, a group of people to say, we're going to make something happen for it to happen. And so having experience in a, in a field uh, is going to help you, again, learn some of the lessons that you didn't get from the mentor that you're going to get on your own and take in the future. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I think that uh, another thing that you mentioned is literature, understanding and being able to read books all the way going back to Plato's dialogues and Socrates. Um, to as re recent as 48 Laws of Power and sort of understanding these different uh, factions of leadership and what's it take to uh, be able to develop an empire, if you will, um, being able to study that on a higher level um, as opposed to just sort of the, the street that you live on is critical as well. Um, but then you need to also understand the street that you live on. So getting involved with community service projects and doing fundraising. Um, I remember I once raised like $500 at, uh, at a streetlight, um, got all of my DECA members out and we wanted to go to Disney World. And I remember I got it down to a dollar per light. If we made a dollar per light, we were going to hit our goal for the day. And so um, things like that are building blocks for being an entrepreneur and can come in handy later in the future. Um, I also worked a bunch of different jobs I uh, started working when I was uh, 10 years old as my mother's secretary and sort of getting that mentor um, experience that you talked about. But I also learned how to type and file and all of the administrative duties of running a business. Um, then from there, went and worked at Burger King and held a ton of different jobs like that wanting to understand all the various different business operations. I would get all of the managerial uh, manuals. A lot of them I still have to this day. Um, I would keep all of the various different menus. I would inquire about the um, different universities that the managers had to go through. Um, I, <laughs> it's a joke amongst my friends, like, where didn't you work? Um, but I purposely did that in my youth so that I could understand all of the various different business uh, operations. So just taking every opportunity to sort of get these different entrepreneurial um, skills along the way um, is important. And then most importantly, believing in yourself, having confidence in yourself, betting on yourself and getting to the point where you can jump out that window and have the confidence that you'll be able to build the parachute. Yeah, that, that was, I just, I just want to add one thing because what you said was, is, is so important. That piece about interning, right? We said get a mentor, but sometimes interning in your career can be vitally important. Uh, I had the opportunity to do that in a career choice that I ended up not doing. And I said that the best thing I learned was, well, there's two things I learned. Number one, this is something I don't want to do. Right? <laughs> and number two, what am I going to do now since this isn't it? Um, but I wouldn't have had that experience had I not interned for free in that position. A lot of people will go into careers and start studying in the careers and then start practicing the careers. And they realize that, I hate this. I don't, I don't even know why I'm doing this. My parents put, wanted me to do this, so I'm doing it. And it's not really a passion or something that they love. So you can get that out the way by interning, again, for free, um, because time will be you know, the asset that you're going to be using. 
but it's going to help you in the future. You could say like, this is what I was born to do. I love it. Or again, I don't know what I'm doing here. Let me get out of here as fast as possible before it starts costing me in the future. Yes, I feel triggered. <laughs> um, <laughs> my whole family sells life insurance and they're excellent at it. Some of the best in the country. And it's sort of expected in my family for you to become a life insurance agent. And every single person has their license. And so, of course, I was you know, made to get my license. And then I started working with my mother and I did not like it. I did not like it at all. And I still uh, was passionate about life insurance. And I said, you know what? I think I want to own a life insurance company. And that's what made me uh, go work for Prudential and, um, you know, a, a, a ton of other stories. But I totally agree. If I had not worked with her, I would not have figured out that that's not what I wanted to do. Because not only did I do it when I was 10 as her secretary, I also worked with her when I was 18 um, uh, with my license. So I completely agree with you. So speaking about life insurance, you know, we talk about a lot of different topics on our platform about how to build generational wealth. And there's not really one way. You can do it through stocks. You can do it through real estate. You can do it through business. You can do it through life insurance. So I want each of you just to talk about one specific way that, you know, you can build generational wealth, break generational curses of poverty and, you know, some insight on on that. Well, that's a great question, um, because the, the the concept is it's not how much you make, it's how much you retain. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, I, um, you know, I didn't have such a great job, but it's about living within your means. And it's about knowing what an asset is and a liability. is. So an asset is something that feeds you and a liability is something that eats you. An asset can be real estate, it can be stocks, it can be bonds, it could be crypto or whatever whatever you're into, and we probably will get into that later that you need to really understand it. Um, but you need to build cash flow. I, I, I love the fact that Tony Robbins tells a story about an older man who was born as a son of slaves in uh, early 1900s, and the, the, the best job he had was uh, a job at um, UPS getting paid $35,000 uh, a year. When he died at 80 years old, he left his family $70 million. And somebody would say, well, why do you, how do you leave $7 million? Because he bought Coca-Cola when Coca-Cola was like the stock market. Coca-Cola was like whatever, a dollar, right? Or it's like today, if you go and think about if you would have 10 or, or 10 years or earlier, or 15 years earlier, you would have bought Apple, you would have bought Facebook, and you would have bought, um, bought some crypto, and you would have bought uh, Tesla. Think about where that would be if you let that money sit. If you would have bought Bitcoin at, at $28 10 years ago, and now it's at 65000 Think about that, right? So that's how you build generational wealth, by investing in smarter people than you. You know, you don't always have to own a business and be the entrepreneur yourself. I got people like uh, Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. He's dead. They still work for me right now, right? Because they are running a business and uh, it's working for me. But you can also create cash flow. You can also create stuff like real estate where the real estate, uh, the value of the cash flow goes up and you depreciate the real estate, right? And you learn about this simple and plain by talking to as many financial experts as you can and double checking what they're saying and what somebody else is saying. The same time you're spending um, looking up stupid videos or checking out hot people or great dances uh, is the same exact time that you can look at, at, at financial instruments on there and what's working and not. There's not this big kind of conspiracy to bankrupt people. If you find that you hear this information from one, two people, go check 10, 20 other sources. If you find these other sources who don't even know each other all talking about this same thing, well, there's got to be some relevance to it. You know, when I was coming up, the Internet wasn't around. So I had to read books by Napoleon Hill and by by Brian Tracy and by, uh, you know, uh, you know, writers on the history of Genghis Khan and whatever cases. When I found the defining line between all of them, I was like, was, are, are they in some big conspiracy? None of them even know each other. Right. So it's all about acquiring information. The problem with financial intelligence, it's not sexy. It's not cool. If somebody, you know, and, and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm a victim of it as well. When I first, when I first was able to trade on a platform, I was like, I'm Gordon Gecko today. I just made $3,000. No, if my ass would have kept that money in there right now, it would have been $300,000. But me wanting to say I traded my Bitcoin from 5,000 to 10,000, look who I am. Hence, now look who I am because I could have had it at 60. It's not sexy talking about this stuff, but the information is there. Well, I would say I have two. 
Um, The first being life insurance. (laughs) Everybody knows I bleed life insurance. So um, having a universal life policy allows you to be able to accumulate cash value in the policy. And it's usually at a three to four percent interest rate, uh, which is higher than what you would typically get in a bank. Also, after about three years of you overfunding and oversubscribing to it, you are able to withdraw your money out and sort of almost take a loan to yourself. There is not really a penalty other than the consequence being if you, for whatever reason, do not pay it back, the money is subtracted out of the face amount um, from your death penalty at the at the um, end of your lifespan. And so that is one of the most excellent ways to be able to protect yourself while living to be able to accumulate cash as well as leave a legacy um, for your family. There is about a 200 year, 225 year uh, wealth gap um, between us and others. And one of the main things that other groups do is participate in life insurance. And that is how they're able to sort of continue uh, that wealth legacy. And that's something that we need to make sure that we're also doing as well. The second thing, of course, is credit. Um, Credit is such a uh, hard subject that has been uh, a, a, a mixed bag of vernacular that has been placed to almost purposely confuse people in a sense. And right now there is a movement happening where people are uh, the industry is almost willing to deshell that information and put the power back into people's hands. So um, we're really excited to be partnered with Experian on Credit Rich. They have been a valued partner and wanting to make sure that uh, consumers have great understanding of their credit. And it is essential that it is emphasized in the home to actually be able to pay your bills, manage your credit, reduce your debt and grow your wealth. And when you have parents that are putting different items on their children's credit, and then they're graduating with $180,000 of debt and a credit score of 444, that is creating almost a debt legacy that then takes them 10 years to be able to climb out of that battle. So instead, we need to have a good credit score ourselves And then when our children come along, we are starting to put them on our credit at a young age. So by the time they're 18, 19, they already have a 750 credit score. They are able to get their student loans. You are able to buy them a home that maybe is a duplex or an apartment building and near their university. And then the other uh, housing spaces can be rented out. So now they're graduating with a great credit score property under management, as well as wealth that is coming in from passive income. So that is the type of legacy that we need to be building for our generations. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like our recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean... It's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let me ask you, I'll start with Angel because she's the credit expert. So um, you just talked about credit a little bit, but... um, so I have a detailed question about credit. Um, how important is it to build and maintain a high credit score? And uh, what are some ways to actually repair your credit um, if you have made credit mistakes? We know a lot of us have made credit mistakes when we were young. So a lot of young people might take out credit cards and not know, you know that they have to pay their bills on time <laughs> or understand interest rates. Yeah. So how important is it to have a good score? And what are some tips to actually help people if they fall off the wagon? I would say having a great credit score is probably one of the most important things in life, at least if you're an American. Have, I would say having great health, believing in God, and then, well, let me reverse that. Believing in God, <laughs> great health, and then a great credit score. Okay. Um, that's what you need to be successful. And I graduated with, a, a you know, just to explain my journey. When I first entered college my freshman year, um, my mother took me to the bank and we found out that I had a 620 credit score. I didn't even know what that meant. And her and the bank lady started, uh, the banker started uh, slapping fives. And I was like, whoa, what is is going on? Why is everybody excited? And so, you know, um, that was pretty much kind of all I kind of heard about it. And then, you know, fast forward four years later um, and I graduate and Hampton has me sign a bunch of papers. And then now I'm an adult and I start to go through my own credit profile and I have $180,000 of debt and a credit score of 444. And how I even found this out was when I went to go uh, apply for an apartment after I graduated college and I'm trying to move into um the, my apartment in New Jersey for me to go to work. And, you know, I'm trying to get a luxury apartment and this, that, and a third. And my credit score is right. And I thought I, I had a, a 620. And it was such a, a horrific incident for me because I was living in Newark. And so there was only one luxury building in the entire city. And I was working at Prudential. So the consequence of me not having a credit score would be for me to live in a situation that would not have been great, especially in Newark during that time. And um, I had to write a letter to the owner of the building and explain to him my situation and kind of what happened to my credit and that I had this new job with Prudential and provide my offer letter and all of these things. And, you know, I've never talked about this before. <laughs> and it, 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 incensed me. And I guess that's what made me so passionate about credit because that situation was so horrific. So not only was it, not only did I feel the impact for myself, but I felt it for so many others that was then going through it. By the grace of God, I happened to be a statistician. And so I sat down and I started reverse engineering the Fair Isaac Credit Reporting System. And, you know, it would have taken me until I was 55 years old if I had just went according to how the bills were laid out. So I started to have to figure out all of these different methods um, to be able to reduce my credit, which leads to your your second part of the your question. One of the first things I figured out was dispute. Um, you know, especially when it comes to student loans and loans, oftentimes they will resell your debt. Um, to other companies. So in my case, I had the same loan or debt 
three to five times on my credit. And legally, only one company can represent that debt on your credit. And so just being able to put in those disputes where the onus is them then on the company to be able to prove that they are the owner of your debt and you do own this debt um, and they have to respond within 30 days. So that is probably the number one method right there that people should employ to be able to get items um, off of their credit. I've gotten over about 90 items removed off of my credit um, through that method. My credit report used to be 12 pages long. I am happy to say it is now only eight items long, you know, with things that are all green. Uh, but it used to be 12 pages, 12 pages long. Um, again, I will emphasize paying your bills on time. That was something that I did not understand before. That is 35% of your credit score and 15% is your credit history. So just that in itself is 50% of your credit score. So being able to set your budget up where you have these payments coming out automatically and they're coming out ahead of time, that will actually help you. Then if you're looking for like a boost or something like that, um, besides credit rich, um, a great thing for you to be able to do is maybe it's time for you to buy a car. Maybe it's time for you to apply for another credit card. Um, you can call your credit card company and it asks them to increase your um, your your credit ratio, your credit um, availability. Sometimes people get a $10,000 credit card and then they just sit with that. Well, if you've been paying it on time for a year or two, call and ask them to increase the value to 15000 So all of these different things um, go really well. And another thing I will also say is be judicious when you're pulling your credit report. Um, it can ha have a big impact with different inquiries. And uh, a lot of people don't really focus on that. But if you are going to pull your credit, you kind of want to try to do it in a finite period of time so that the impact is not as great, especially when you are applying for a car, because you don't want to have a bunch of scattered inquiries. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, I would just add to that, right? Like the inquiries, they a lot of people don't realize that that can negatively affect your credit score. And so, and I learned a valuable lesson. It goes back to the education, being on a college campus, read the fine line, read the fine line, read the fine print. I know they give you the little pamphlet when they want you to sign up. It's there for a reason. It's very small for reasons because they don't want you to read it, right? We always tell you that wealthy people don't usually make wealthy people rich. Poor people make wealthy people rich. And we become financial prey as students when we walk on the campus because that's the target. They know that we're going to be irresponsible with money. They know we don't have proper education with money. And they know we've never seen the type of money that these credit cards can provide us. And so we have to be properly educated. And so when we walk into to the, the cafeteria and there's all these banks there, if we apply for seven different cards, that's seven different inquiries which could attack your credit score. But also the utilization is important too, right? And so if you have a $500 credit limit, you don't want to use $500, right? You don't want to max out your utilization because that again affects your credit score, right? And so what will happen the first time you do it, and this is a valuable lesson, I'm only saying it because I went through it, right? They give you 500, you go up to 500. They don't say, okay, he paid his bill, he paid $20 on that. Let's move them up to a thousand after four months. Now you're like, I got a thousand of you. So it's like, all right, bet I'm going for the entire thousand. And then you slowly start keeping up and now you're paying a hundred dollars. And then now it's like, oh wait, he paid a hundred dollars a month for six months. Let's give him 2000. And as a college student, when you don't have money and you have a job and you're working nine to five, it's like, well, not even nine to five as a student, you're not working nine to five, but you're making a little bit of money and you have $2,000 of credit. Of course, you're going to use it each time. And so learning the utilization is very important because that affects your credit score. One of the things that you spoke about, and I was also very privileged, right? When I, I tried to get my first credit card, I had credit history. I had no idea, right? In 1985, my mom became a member of American Express, right? When I was 17 years old, she made me an authorized user. So for that time frame, since 1985 till I was 18 years old, I had 15 years of credit history before I even had a credit card. Now, she was responsible enough to take care of her credit card and pay those things on time. And so now my credit score starts at a 700, 730 because of her responsibility. So if you have parents, hopefully your parents are responsible. That is another way that you don't have to open up a card. You can become an authorized user on your parents' card. Now, you got to be responsible and obviously your parents need to be as well. But that's another way to go about gaining credit while also helping your credit score grow. Yes. Whole lot of gain. Um, so let me ask you guys this. What are your top tips 
to make money to make your money work for you. We always talk about your money has to work for you. It can't be lazy. You can't you don't have to work for money. Money has to work for you. And that sounds good, but what does that actually mean? Like what are some ways where money can actually work for you? When when I hear making money work for you, I hear invest. And so I spoke about the stock market, but also especially with this generation, crypto is a, is a space that they can invest money and not just take it out, but make it work for you, right? We'd like to have that mindset where we want each dollar that we've made that we've worked hard for now to go out and work for us. And so if, even if it's $10 that we invest, we need that $10 to go and work for us, right? I know we said saving. Yeah, we should have money allocated for saving, but we should also have some money for investing, right? Because we don't want it sitting. The bank will will, will accumulate money and they will use your money. And when you ask for it, you're going to have to ask for permission if it's over a certain amount. And so that means that they've applied the money that you've now put into their system. So we want to make sure that we use it to our benefit. We want to make sure that we have it working for us. So investing in crypto, uh, investing in stock, but also investing in real estate. I mean, we hear these stories all the time where people are coming together, young men and women and saying, look, we're going to get our first property. It's, it's $20,000 or $30,000 home. Can we pull together our money and now get this? Right. And this becomes now an investment and, and investing in yourself is too, is, is another way to make your money work for you. Right. There's no price on the knowledge you can gain from getting experience, um, whether it's through a course or whether it's going to a seminar where you can learn about information that you wouldn't be able to uh, had you not invested in yourself. So when we say money work for you, there's a multitude of ways. Yeah, I agree. I would say from um, I would say from a two ways, from a practical standpoint, one of the way one of the things that I do is simply when it comes to shopping. You know, um, I've, I, you know, <laughs> I'm a kid that I used to wear Payless shoes. Um, my sister had every pair of Jordans that ever came out. And um, she, you know, had a wall full of, she got every pair of Jordans, every pair of Vans, all, all of that. And I just didn't see the point in it. And um, I used to wear nothing but Payless. And I think I didn't understand the value of quality. Now, I think having the extreme of having every pair of Jordans and every pair of vans, that's unnecessary. Um, but being able to invest in high quality clothes, high quality shoes, high quality items, um, you know, as opposed to just getting um, cheap silverware or cheap china that you're going to have to replace after a, a year, it's actually better and smarter to go ahead and invest in something that is um, of good value that you can then keep for 10, 20, 30 years and maybe even pass it on to your children. And that's why you have all these rich people eating off of forks and spoons that's like 50 years old. Um, they've been eating off the same spoon for 50 years, okay? <laughs> so it's just it's just financial intelligence when you think about it, you know? Um, so when you start to think about stuff that way and buying, you know, great furniture um, and just things like that, that is actually making your money work for yourself as opposed to getting a cheap futon and every two years you got to buy a new futon. And so that's just silly. You know, you spending $200 on a futon every two years as opposed to going ahead and spending $1,000 on a couch that's going to last you 30 years. Like, you know, do the math. And so um, that that took that took me a, a moment to be able to figure out. I would say the same thing with groceries. I mean, of course, people know, you know, buy in bulk and different things like that. Um, but sometimes we overbuy in bulk where, you know, you don't need too much. But having that sort of fine balance where you are planning out your meals, you know what you're going to eat, you are pre-planning what to buy, and you're being more judicious when you're in a grocery store. One of the biggest core ways that people waste money is on food, is on food. So if you can get that food expense down, that's probably about a third of the money that you're wasting. I'm willing to bet. And so people really need to be able to get that down. Um, so that's on a practical level. And then I would say on a higher level, what I have figured out is one of the best ways, one of the best ways to make money is through tech investments. And specifically, I would also say black tech investments. And I'm not saying black tech investments because I'm black or because I'm pro-black. It's actually nothing to do with that. It is from a strictly business and financial perspective um, when I'm saying this specifically with this question. And that is because Black companies tend to be undervalued, but they tend to also outperform the market. So when you are looking at something to invest in, you want to buy low and sell high. So why wouldn't you invest in a forthcoming genius black tech company? 
And another thing that I started to do, uh, not only monetarily, but also with my intellectual uh, capital. So if I have intelligence about something, I'm going to partner with an upcoming tech company and take a piece of equity in it. And then two to three years later, they're going to start to bloom. Um, I just posted a company yesterday, BrainRap. I've been working with him quietly for about two or three years now. And so um, and now he's starting to he's starting to grow and I've just been quietly helping him. And so um, that doesn't take much time. You know, you can just say, OK, I got two hours a month dedicated to this or so whatever your time frame is and being able to sort of set those boundaries. Everybody has different skill sets that you can leverage to then partner with these growing tech companies and go ahead and get a piece of equity you know, here and there all over the place. Don't necessarily stretch yourself out too thin because you want to make sure you're actually fulfilling your role. But that is a very easy way. And uh, like you said earlier about learning from other people, that's something that I've learned from older wealthy people when I ask, how'd you get all this money? And they say, well, I just kept investing and participating in all my friends' companies. You know, then one day they started sending me checks. And I was like, you know what? I want that life. <laughs> well, that, you, that actually leads me to the next question. How do you identify a good opportunity? Because, you know, we know all investments don't make money. All investments aren't good. So for people that are just starting out, whether it's stock, whether it's angel investing, how you just talked about angel, how do you like what's your your philosophy on identifying? This is something I really want to put money into. My honest answer is I need a crazy founder with a humble heart. I need somebody that is crazy enough to think they can take over the world and disrupt whatever industry they trying to disrupt, but they're not a, they're not a villain. You know, they're not trying to burn the world down necessarily, you know, or um, charge 400% interest rate on whatever the product is that they're creating. And that's step one. Step two, what is the problem that you are trying to solve? Is it massive? Is it a real problem? Do other people have this problem? Can people not sleep at night? If you were to tell people that you had a solution to this problem, would they run out and grab it from your hands? Number three, is the solution grab worthy? You know, has somebody else tried this before? Is it innovative? How do you plan to distribute it? What is your marketing, which I guess is also number four. How do you plan to market this? How are you going to get it to the masses? How, how are people going to adopt it? And then um, I would say number five is, do you have a financial mindset? If somebody hands you a million dollars, do you know what to do with it? Do you? <laughs> I've met so many people that are out raising money. And then I go, what are you going to do with the money? Oh, I don't know. Okay, well, why are you raising money? And how have you not thought about what you are going to actually do with the money? That means you're just you're just doing this for show. Like you think this is theater. You're not actually really trying to build a business. And so you really need to be uh, strong on your financials. And then last but not least is what I call a ban. What is special about you? What is what is unique about you? What's going to what? Why you? And why are you the person that has figured this out and you're going to be the superstar and the hero at the end of this story? Yeah, I think that was, I mean, that was a laundry list right there. I would just add a couple of things to even the founder is what's the track record of the founder? Have they created a business prior to this? And so if we look at Elon Musk, we know that he's created PayPal. He has a pretty good success rate if he's going to try to create something new. Um, again, and what you said about uh, knowing yourself do you believe in this right is this something that you're actually purposely wanting to be a part of um and so what, before you make any investment again know the financials but is this something that you yourself will be using um a lot of times people will just say all right that sounds like a good idea not have any idea of the technicals or the financials it sounds like a good idea he told me it she told me it i'm gonna put some money in it that's how we lose money very quickly um but those steps that you gave were right on and so how you should be looking at investing Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like a recent episode with Hollywood royalty, Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to 
Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean, it's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let me got, let me ask you guys this. As far as HBCUs, right, what would be some advice that you can give to, you know, HBCU presidents and leadership as far as we're in a new age, as far as with crypto and uh, digital currencies, NFTs. And a lot of times institutions in general are slow yes, yes, to move. Yes, yes, yes. And they when you're slow to move, you become outdated and you get, you know, you don't get looked at as being innovative anymore. So what would be your advice? for this new age technology um, that HBCUs hopefully can get in front of and, you know, be looked at as innovative as opposed to being lagging. I think your answer was actually in your response just now. Get in front of it, right? Don't be rigid about the opportunities that are ahead for the future, right? People get stuck in their own ways and stuck in their own mindset of how the world used to look, right? And then you become the grandparents of the age, right? It's like, well, that's not how things are now. Technology changes. People evolve, tech, everything evolves, right? And so this new space of cryptocurrency and NFTs is something that we should be putting on our canvases and having classes on, right? Creating courses about having people come to speak, creating clubs. You know, you wouldn't understand how beneficial just having a club about it and how that can grow into something uh, because these kids know it. They know, especially, I mean, we're here in another country and that's everybody wants to talk about cryptocurrency. So getting ahead of it, educating yourself so that you can educate the masses, right? That's what colleges and universities, especially HBCUs. When we first found out about crypto, well, I remember we made a vow to ourselves that we have to tell everybody about this because there's no way we can get left behind, right? Like if this is going to the moon, we want to be at the launching station. And so that's what we have to do as people, but especially in, in the formal education system, adapt, don't be rigid, create courses, get people that are in the space that have knowledge because there might be kids on campus right now that are creating their own coins or creating their own wallets or trying to create their own platforms. And you have no idea it's being built right under your nose. So educate yourself so you educate the masses. Yeah, I agree. I would love to see my beloved Hampton University, as well as the other HBCUs, give us our freedom. And that is that is really what's needed. Intellectual freedom. And right now, as you alluded to, um, a lot of them are sort of stuck in the past and wanting to hold on to tradition, which I definitely applaud. You know, I'm I'm a traditionalist myself, um, but I think that we need the legs of the youth and the wisdom of the elders to be able to come together and merge us forward in this new uh, world that we are living in. 
And exactly what you said, uh, we have an organization called Black Tech Matters. And right now we are working with a couple of the HBCUs where we are looking to establish organizations on the ground so they can at least have a meeting space of people that are like-minded to be able to come together and build these companies. They can be from all type of different disciplines. You know, you can have somebody from the music department and the engineering department and the marine biology department. And hey, you just came up with underwater sound waves, just made that up. And so who knows what is able to come out of gathering these people together in these spaces. And most importantly, I'm a, I'm a researcher and a, a consultant at heart. So why aren't we bringing together the different problems that are plaguing our HBCUs, hosting these clubs, and then allowing them to come up with solutions for our campuses? I think it is a win-win situation for the students to be able to learn and have that breeding ground to be able to go off to other corporations as well as be uh, successful entrepreneurs, as well as improve the universities and help propel us and move us forward. What's, what's your thoughts on it, Damon? You know, it's all about knowing what you really are into. Like, you can't chase, um, you know, fads, right? Because today it's going to be crypto, tomorrow it's going to be NFTs, and the next day it's going to be sports card trading. And then all of a sudden you're going to go into Tesla when it's at its highest point ever, right? And then you're going to try to buy some Airbnbs. you got to be into something that you really understand and you like and you really want to go into it because there's so many different ways to go into it. What type of NFT are you going to buy? What type of crypto are you going to buy? Is the crypto about the ecosystem? Is the crypto just about uh, a strong backing to it? Is the crypto, you know, defying the banking system? Who's into it? How many people are trading it? The NFTs, are you getting certain special characters and special things? So there's a lot of different, or is it, is it, is it a certain NFT that just gives you uh, access to certain things, whether it's music artists, concerts, financial uh, conferences? So you got to know everything about it. Uh, the worst thing is ever somebody telling you, I got a hot tip for you, you know, or here's what you should be doing because I'm doing it or I'm going to make mad money off it because of this. You know, you, you if somebody says that to you, I'm not saying they're trying to rob you or nothing. They may be making a poor decision. But if you don't understand what they're talking about, when things go bad, you're going to wonder what the hell happened. You got to say, if somebody's giving you a hot tip, that better be somebody that you've been talking to for two months, 10 years, 20 years. You're going back and forth. You know, when you're failing, I'm failing. And, you know, the best way to do it is surround yourself with a circle of friends that are talking about investments. They're talking about, uh, you know, opportunities out there in the market. They're reading the Wall Street Journal. They're reading the New York Times. They're not worrying. They're not worrying about talking about gossip. They're worrying about talking. And, and what the, the channel at their home, it's CNN, it's MSNBC, it's Fox Financial. Those are the people that you want to surround yourself with. Because when you start surrounding yourself with a bunch of people talking like that, this becomes second nature. And that's what I did when I was coming up. I, didn't, I loved hip hop and I love fashion, but I love more finance. I want to know how the world works. And there's, there's any, any single time that you see a transaction, somebody makes money. I don't care if you are, your house is bankrupt. Well, guess what? Guess who made the money? The person who bought it out of bankruptcy. Right. Somebody made money during a transaction. And I and I want to be on the knowledgeable side of a transaction. Absolutely. So for HBC students, um, you know, being a college student, one of the hardest things is trying to figure out what you're going to major in. And it's something that you pick the wrong major <laughs> and you waste four years of your life and you waste a bunch of money. And you realize that you really can't, you know, go into the field that you want with that major. And you don't realize it until it's too late. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on career path majors that, you know, will probably be beneficial in today's economy? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would start with, you know, you should find your what your purpose is. I wouldn't want to tell you to find a major and you should be doing that because that's what, you know, generations of, of parents did to us. You should be doing this. I want you to be this. I want you to be this until you realize you don't want to be any of those things. So I would say find your purpose. And that is something that you're naturally good at right now, that it doesn't take you much time or effort. It's a natural skill that you have that you just need to develop. Had I gone back in time, what I would be studying is computer science. No doubt. Right. If we look at the age of growth in economics, if we look at the tech sector over the past 10 years, it's been the fastest growing sector. And so there's plenty of things you can do inside of technology. Um, and we talk about it a lot. Semiconductors probably be, would, would be my main point, my focal point. Um, so, uh, computer engineering, 
uh, because we know that everything that we have involves semiconductors, whether it be this computer or your phone or this camera, everything involved with movement and technology has a semiconductor in it. So computer engineering would be my, my, my focus. Um, but like I said, it, w- it, it would be depending upon the person. But if we're looking for the most growth potential and we know things that are coming down the future, if we just looked at Facebook, change their names right to meta because they're building a world inside the meta verse that tells you that computer science is here to stay and companies are putting money, billions, billions of dollars, right? We said Facebook's going to pay $50 billion to get this off this, the ground. They're not just the only ones in this. Amazon will be next. Apple will be creating something. Microsoft will be creating something. Every time one of these giant corporations creates something, guess what? More opportunities, more jobs. And so if we're looking for high paying jobs and a place that's going to be abundance, definitely be computer science, focusing in computer engineering. Yeah, um, I strongly agree with what you just said. Whenever I am positioned with this question, my response is, what would you be doing for free? If you were already rich, you already had a home, you already had everything in life that you wanted, what would you do for free? And that's what you should focus on. And that's what you should go get your degree in. An entrepreneur can be in any subject. Um, you can you can start a business as a paleontologist. Uh, you could uh, be a missionary and create a business out of that. I actually helped a friend start a business that was a missionary and she didn't know what she wanted to do after she was a missionary, but she sort of uh, grew up wealthy and she had traveled the world and she knew where all the great uh, luxurious spots were across the world. And I was like, why don't you do like a Christian sort of tour across the world and in various different cities and you take people to these various different places that you've been. Um, And it's called Brave by Faith. And she's been quite successful with it. And so an entrepreneur can come out of anywhere. It just has to be something that, like you said, it has to be something that you're passionate about. And once you are passionate and then you learn the business skills and or the tech skills to then go along with that or get a partner or take some classes, however you get there. Um, But the root of it needs to be whatever it is that you are passionate about and truly understanding that subject so that you know that subject better than anybody else. And that is why you will have your BAM. And that is where it will create your why for why you are even starting this company. Very profound. So the last question is uh, for you, Angel, Um, being an HBCU alumni, how has being an HBCU alum uh, impacted your journey? Being an HBCU alum has blessed me greatly. I couldn't imagine going to any other school but Hampton. Hampton is actually the only school I even applied to. And so uh, I, I love it so much. Being able to understand my culture on the level that I do and understanding humanities has helped me be able to navigate the world, um, not just in America, but from all of the different countries that I've been able to travel to. I don't think I would have gotten that same level of cultural understanding going to another type of school. Um, It's also sort of a underground network, if you will, Um, not only amongst my fellow Hamptonians, but amongst all sort of HBCU alumni. uh, We all look out for each other. We uh, work with each other and we have sort of common values and morals that are unspoken that we understand. And it helps to uh, alleviate a lot of things when we're looking to build businesses together. And. I just actually really just can't stress enough (laughs) how much I think that it has been a blessing to my journey. I'm thankful that I made the decision to go to Hampton as opposed to University of Maryland, which I would have had a full scholarship to um, graduating from Flowers um, High School right down the street from it. Um, But going to Hampton was a thoughtful decision and the sort of grit and guts that it takes to be an entrepreneur you develop at an HBCU and I wouldn't have wanted to have it any other way. There you have it. Good for you. There you have it. A ring, a ring endorsement <laughs> for HU. Wait, the real HU? Of course oh. it's the real <laughs> HU. I've been holding back all, all day now, okay? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm getting married to a Howard man now. I'm constantly on the defense. Okay. okay. <laughs> All you got to do is put the letters up. It'll speak for itself. <laughs> we just had a party last oh. night. It was it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're going to have to 
uh, split the baby 50-50 when it comes to the merch. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna let the the baby choose uh, which one they want to go to, and you know, let the recruiting begin. <laughs> I mean, either way, their first letters are gonna be H U. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's facts. <laughs> All right, I'm Rashad Bilal. Thank you for joining me, Troy Millings, Angel Rich, and Damon John for this Black Inspired Show Me the Money episode. For more of iHeart's Black and Inspired HBCU Celebration Podcast Series, you can listen on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts every week on talk easy with sam fragoso i invite an artist writer or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.